Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. In the spotlight on Money FM 89.3. And now in the spotlight, we catch up with our friends over at the BBC to find out the latest in the world's situation and what's happening around the world today. Joining us this hour, Pete Ross, producer presenter at the BBC for the global headlines he's tracking this week. Hi, Pete. Hi there. Good evening, guys. Thanks for having me. Nice to be talking to you again. And it seems like it's going to be a pretty action-packed week, isn't it? G20 foreign ministers are meeting in Bali this week ahead of the G20 heads of state summit in November. And Indonesian President Joko Widodo, whose country actually holds the rotating presidency of the G20, in the last few days has offered to bridge communication between Russia and Ukraine, hoping that his efforts will lead to a ceasefire and eventually even direct talks between the two leaders. However, as we've seen, the US and others have said that Russia actually should be excluded from the G20 following the invasion of Ukraine. Russia is expected to have a presence at the upcoming meeting. What kind of reception are they likely to receive, Pete? Yeah, I think all eyes on whether Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, does indeed attend that meeting in Bali on Thursday. Now, there's been no indication, no official indication from Moscow to suggest that he won't attend. However, Russia's Russia's participation at other G20 events has been a source of tension recently. Um, Back in April, there was a G20 finance minister's meeting and officials from Canada, Britain and the US walked out because of the presence of Russia. So, given what's going on in Ukraine, given Russia's invasion of that country, uh, yes, all eyes will be on this meeting this week to see if Mr. Lavrov turns up. And, of course, I'm sure you and your listeners know that Mr. Lavrov is not shy with coming forward with his opinions. So, you know, he, he's very combative normally. So if he does turn up, I'm sure he'll be full of soundbites. Uh, mm. Recently, in fact, last week he said, he, he, you know, that old term that we thought was a, was a relic of the past, the Iron Curtain, uh, he said that that was descending between Russia and the West again. He said that relations between Russia and Europe have actually been bad since 2014, which you'll remember was when Moscow annexed the peninsula of Crimea from Ukraine. So that might have had something to do with the sort of frosty relations beginning back then. But as I said, all eyes on whether Mr. Lavrov will turn up. We've not heard that he won't. And if he does, it's definitely likely to ruffle a few feathers. Mm, I mentioned earlier, Pete, that Indonesian President Joko Widodo has been making some effort in trying to bridge communication between Russia Mm. and Ukraine. But really, to what extent can the G20 really influence the course of events in any way? in the Russia-Ukraine conflict? Well, that's a very broad question, I have to say. I mean, it's, uh, but what I would say about Mr. Widodo's recent efforts is that, well, to be honest, there's, you know, there's, he's not the only world leader that would like to be known as the man or the person to sort of bring these two nations together. But, I mean, I think he's got a pretty, you know, Mr. Widodo and others. I mean, you've got uh, uh, President Erdogan in Turkey. Israel have been trying to do some mediation. Italy weighed in at the beginning of the conflict, you might remember. You know, of course, someone wants to be the person that says, look, I brought these two to the table. Uh, But that's not happening anytime soon, according to the military experts I've listened to. And certainly, you know, if we look at what's happening on the battlefront right now, you know, there's no indication that these two are are close to peace talks. So, Pete, what... What, what is happening at the battlefront right now? Yeah, the latest, I mean, as, as I'm sure you know, I mean, fighting has been concentrated in the east of the country for several weeks now, and that continues. The, the two main areas, Donetsk and Luhansk, They're part of the Donbass region. Now, before Russia launched its invasion, uh, President Putin said that was the area that he was most interested in taking. 
um, and that has been where most of the intense fighting's happened in recent times. Now, last night we heard from Ukrainian officials that Ukrainian troops have now retreated from the city of Lysychansk. This was the city you might have heard was the one that they thought that, that, that some military experts thought that Ukraine would have a good chance of defending because it was in an elevated position and it had a lot of natural protection. However, they've now made that decision to withdraw. They say in order to save on troop numbers, to save on casualties. President Zelensky this morning, though, said he's confident that he can retake that city, that troops can retake, Ukrainian troops can retake that city and the Donbass region, but there's an if. Uh, he needs more weapons from the West. This is a call that we're hearing a lot from him at the moment. He says, look, if you can support us, if the West can support us, we can win this war. So more of that from President Zelensky this morning. Pete, let's move closer to home, to Japan, where they will be going in for the Upper House of Parliament election on July the 10th. We were just talking about a major poll that shows that Japan's ruling coalition parties are set to win a majority in this election. The main opposition parties failing to pick up support. What are the major themes that will dominate this election? Well, it's interesting. You said, let's look at issues closer to home. And of course, geographically, that's absolutely right. But everything is sort of tied at the moment, isn't it? Mm. And, you know, that, that sort of idea that, you know, a chain reaction from one side of the world can, can, can cause ruptions on the other side. And I think because of what's going on in Ukraine, because of Russia's invasion, uh, shall we say that China's influence, uh, China's probably looking to the West and, and, and how it's responding to that invasion as it weighs up what it's going to do, you know, as far as its territorial borders in, in, in the coming years. So with that in mind, as you say, there are uh, big uh, elections taking place in Japan. It's a, just over a year or, or just under a year since the uh, Liberal Democratic Party made a significant victory in the lower house. And now uh, Prime Minister Kishido Fumio is looking to cement, you know, his, his control, as, if, if you like, with the second round of elections in the upper house. Now, an issue that would not normally be at the top of the agenda for Japan, I think, you know, you guys are money FM, Japan, very similarly, often, you know, economics is, is, is right up the top there. But this time we're hearing that according to certain polls and local media reporting that defense is now a big issue for Japan. Hmm. And that's you could say a lot to do with what's going on in Ukraine, Russia's invasion, and as I said at the top of this answer, you know, how long will the West stay united and how long can they deter Russia? And is China trying to pick up any lessons from this? And if so, well, then maybe Japan needs to start thinking about spending more money on defense. So it's going to be a key issue. Very interesting. Speaking of China, President Xi recently took a trip to Hong Kong, of course, to celebrate the anniversary of the handover from British rule. He is also demonstrating assertiveness and, well, claiming that his policy is working in Hong Kong. Yeah, I mean, I think if we look back to, you know, it's, it, as I said, it's all about this assertiveness, isn't it? Russia's clearly trying to assert itself in Ukraine at the moment with its invasion, and China's perhaps looking there to going, thinking, well, look, Taiwan, we all know that Taiwan declares itself an independent country, but Taiwan, can, excuse me, China considers Taiwan as, as very much part of its territory. And President Xi has said in the past that he will reunite Taiwan and China at some point in the future. 
So you could look at what's happened in Hong Kong in the last three or four years. You remember the huge demonstrations that took place um, about the, 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 the sort of lo loss of democracy in, in the territory. Well, I think that has, you know, the victory has been won, you could say, by President Xi and China. And I think really, given the he heavily choreographed ceremonies that, that President Xi took place and uh, took part in last week, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's them basically saying, look, this is, uh, Hong Kong is completely under control, um, and, and look, you know, we, we might be looking to go elsewhere. So, as I said, back to, relating it back to Japan, the fact that Japan says it's going to increase its defense spending should really, if, if Japan's saying that, you know, who else is going to start saying that? And actually here in the UK, our Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced that the UK will increase its percentage of GDP to 2.5% on defense by the end of the decade. And he's not the only country saying that as well. And just to give you, you know, 2.5 of, of etc., where does that sit? Well, America spends 3.5%, and Israel spends about, you know, the only other two countries that spend more are Israel and Saudi Arabia. So mm. the fact that countries are now looking to spend more on defense says a lot about where we are geopolitically at the moment. Now, Pete, let's talk about COVID-19 because we really can't seem to run away from it, can we? We are seeing an uptick in cases, uh, the BA4 and BA5 variants, and a recent study reported in the BMJ showed us that protection gained from a fourth booster dose likely wanes even faster than previous boosters. What would your analysis of the situation at this point be, especially in your part of the world as well, and how that reconciles itself with the situation here in Asia? Absolutely. Look, let's be honest. What with what we've already talked about this morning, the war in Ukraine, rising food and fuel prices globally, the cost of living crisis, uh, this is obviously news that nobody wants to hear. But global infection rates of the coronavirus, as you said, with these two new subvariants of Omicron, the BA4 and the BA5, are on the rise again. Um, now, I guess the first thing to say is, you know, in this country, you know, our Prime Minister Boris Johnson did like to say a lot a few months ago that we were world-beating and leading the way out of the COVID crisis, you know, that we had a very successful vaccine rollout and that uh, the decisions that his government made allowed us to kind of get on with life, get back to normal and start living with COVID, another expression we're hearing more and more often. Mm. Now, on the one hand, that seems to be the case. Now, when I came into the office this morning, I often like telling you about my journey into work, don't I? When I came into the office this morning, the tube, the, uh, the underground, um, I would say you've now got about 5% mask coverage now. So hmm. five out of 100 people in a tube carriage are wearing a mask. If you go into the shops, into the supermarkets, same, same story. Virtually nobody is wearing a mask. So we're kind of all ignoring it and getting on with it. And that seems to have worked to an extent. However, if you look at the figures, medical experts say, look, not just here in the UK, but globally, we are going through another wave of COVID. Now, the other thing to say very quickly on this is, you know, the one note of caution is that on the one hand, the death rates don't seem to be so bad. Our hospitals don't seem to be quite at the same capacity as they were at previous points in the pandemic. However, to relate it back to my journey into work again this morning, when I went into a very famous coffee chain to get my coffee before I come on the air to speak to you, there was one person behind the till, which you would not, behind the counter, mm -hmm. normally space for five or six workers. And there was not another person in this branch of that coffee shop. Wow. So there was a huge queue. Exactly. I think you can join the dots there, can't you? Now, it yeah. might not be causing the same severe 
you know, numbers of people dying and severe illness, but it is having a big impact on the amount of people that are able to go to work. And when you fold that in with all the other things that are going on at the moment, you know, that, that is not a good picture to be looking at, I would suggest. I think we are still in a very challenging face of this pandemic and post-pandemic period, but hopefully we, we will emerge. Pete, thank you very much for joining us. Pete Ross is a presenter and producer at the BBC with global headlines we should be paying attention to. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.